I don't know if you've, uh, if you've noticed this. My assumption is most of you are keenly aware of uh, the mess that is going on in our world. Hey, Livy, you can go sit with Mommy. <laughs> and the mess that's going on in our world. Um, if you spend a little bit of time with the, with the confusion that's going on around uh, mass shootings, and then what ends up happening around a mass shooting is then we get a bunch of debates going on whether gun control is the issue or not gun control or mental health, and we, we see all these debates happen, and, and, and people start getting at each other's throat, and then you have things like uh, refugees going on, and, the, and the, the stuff that we're dealing with refugees, and, and the, the arguments that happen there, and these huge debates happen, and start, people start fighting with each other on, on social media, and they start arguing about who, what's right and what's wrong and, and what we should do and what the biblical response is and what the other biblical response is and what this biblical response is to that biblical response. And, and what ends up happening is this, this mass argument, right? And we had it just a little while ago around same-sex marriage and there's this, there's this argument around this and we've seen it around abortion and you can just, you kind of just pick a hard topic to, to, to discuss, to even have a conversation around and you see debate, debate, debate. But the problem is, is it's not clear, Right? You look at those and you're like, well, as a f- you would hope that the debates would be the, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, the professed followers, disciples of Jesus would be here and the world is here. And you'd be able to see this divide and it'd be very clear, distinct lines. And all the Christians would get along with each other and they would love each other and they would see this amazing thing. And, and all those that aren't Christians would see this and go, wow, I want to be like that. But that's not it either. In fact, what happens is the debates get so ugly that, that most people see Christians as, as ugly people. As hateful, bitter, bigots, there's this just ugliness around it. And I'm not, let me say this really clearly. We can disagree all day long. In fact, disagreement is a very, very good thing. But the debates that happen over and over and over again, it's just ugly. And my fear as, as a pastor of a church, my fear for, for you and for, for the kingdom of God that we're, we're, we're pleading with him to be on earth as it is in heaven is that this kingdom is so muddied up by our language that the very reason we're arguing is lost. And debates are won or lost, but no one's heart is changed. In fact, people get so embittered with it and so riddled with fear and anger and everything else that they start pushing away the very thing that's called to be the hope of the world, and that's the church. We get so ugly in our conversations. We get so quick to run away from each other that we forget that we are in a covenantal relationship with one another through God. It's become this ugly debate. And it's not working. It really isn't working. And we're in a, we're in a set of scripture today that, that as, as we come to it, I'm excited but also intrigued that, that God has brought it as we've been about the last decade through Matthew, right? Is that he's brought this text to this day. And that's this text that, that is, is, is so clear. In fact, for those of you that don't know, Revolution 22, the 22 is from Matthew 22, verse 34, where we're going right now. That we are going to love God and we are going to love others. But if we're honest... I mean, really honest, and as I've been honest in my state time, I'm, I'm not really sure that that's what's being displayed or lived or acted on. In fact, I, I'm a little concerned in general, just for the greater church, but even our small C church, like how much, how much love of God is really present in action and how much love of others is really present. In a world where there is seemingly dark, dark, dark darkness in every corner, at every week, at every turn. And I, 
I don't want to be too much more doom and gloom, guys. It doesn't get much better than that here. You're not, you're not of this world if you're a follower of Jesus. This, this, isn't, this isn't it. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope isn't in this world. Our hope isn't in, in, in people agreeing on, on some one debate after another. Our hope isn't in winning that debate. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And what's happening is these debates are so ugly. They're riddled with fear. And people are just running from the one thing that brings them hope and together, and that's Christ. So this isn't a, a, a can't we all just get along message. This isn't a, hey, you can't disagree with anyone. But we're going we're gonna to look at this text that, that, that I and the leadership here so desired to be a church that was meant to love God and love others. We believed wholeheartedly, I, believe, I still believe this wholeheartedly, that if you or I can understand and live, not just understand, but live out what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then loving our neighbors ourselves would just come naturally. And, and dare I say it, probably isn't going to happen in debates. In fact, you know who are really great at debate? Pharisees. Man, they could debate like no other. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be Christ-like than Pharisee-like. But if we don't deal with this fact that, that God is calling us to a different level of action, calling us to a different level of life, living, then unfortunately, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to get in the way of what God's doing. Praise God that Jesus tells us that he's going to build his church either way. Like the gates of hell can't stand between him and the church, right? Amen? One of you, good. Someone's excited about that. But this whole fighting, debating, think back real quickly. What was one debate where you saw a men's heart change on either side? In fact, we don't even see it here in this text. In fact, we see the opposite. Jesus wins the debate. Shocker, we kind of all know that was going to come, right? But there's not really any heart change in those that he's debating with. And that's my fear, is that we're so caught up in debate that we forget that we're called to do something drastically different than debate. Again, we can, we can argue, we can disagree, but that's not how hearts are won. Let me pray, and we're going we're gonna to jump in again. God, I pray for... Um, those in the world right now that are victimized by slavery, by lack of food, victimized by um, murder, those that have been that have been affected by the shootings, affected by um, losing their home, affected by war. God, it's just it's just ugly and broken out there. And I thank you that you are a light in the midst of this dark, dark world. And so, God, as we look at your word and what it means to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God, may that be our focus and not this darkness. May our hope be in you and you alone and not in what the world can or can't do, what debate could win, what conversation could win. God, may our hope be in you. God, may we not lose sight of the fact that you have already commissioned us. You've given us a role. You've given us a job. You've given us a purpose to live out here on earth as we are just to be in this earth, not of it, God as we wait for your kingdom to show up here on earth as it is in heaven. May we be lights today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So the context to this is we've been working, this is the last couple days of Jesus' life where there's been all these questions of different religious leaders coming at Jesus. And, and it's the one spot where we see Herodians, or Herod, Herodians and Sadducees and Pharisees, people that normally would disagree on so many different things, are in harmony together attacking Jesus to try and prove him wrong. And so these, these, these disagreeing groups are coming together trying to ask Jesus and get him to stumble on words, and they're, they're trying to get him to, to falsify answers or get him some way that the crowds would turn and they could then either kill him or, or embarrass him or ruin his reputation to try and destroy what Jesus is doing. So again, the, the point of the debate wasn't to be understanding. The point of the debate was to, to entrap Jesus. Like most of us, when we go to debate something, we aren't going in it to try and understand. We're going in to try and prove our point, why we're right and why they're wrong. You're not going to go into it with, a, with an open heart and that. So they're, they're coming in and they have this question. And so it picks up in verse 30, 34, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will come bring you one. Um, chapter 22, verse 34. And so this is just after Danny talked about last week, the Sadducees' um, question about resurrection and, 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 and what that meant. And so then the Pharisees heard. And so this is all kind of happening on the Temple Mount that we talked about a few weeks ago. The, the Pharisees hear this. They, see, they heard that, that he had silenced the Sadducees. And so they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer. Now, this is a, most likely a scribe, someone that was an expert. When it says lawyer, he was an expert in the Mosaic Law. Expert in the rabbi, rabbinical law. So the law, the 613 laws that the rabbis had added on top of Moses' Ten Commandments, like these laws, they were, he was an expert in this. And so he kind of drew the short stick. Like, okay, well, you're the one that's going to go question Jesus this. Now, he approaches Jesus in a very, very humble manner. And so it almost seems like the, this lawyer actually wants to know the answer. But we also know, because the, the Gospel of Matthew tells us, and, and Mark and Luke as well, that he came to test him. So he's, he's going along with the plan of the Pharisees as kind of a pawn, but his, his, his approach is somewhat humble. And so he comes up to him and says, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, teacher, again, that's, a, that's a, an, an honor, way, an, an, a, a nice way to approach someone. It's a, it's a way to honor someone. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, this seems like a silly question because we don't necessarily think about it, but this question right here, because of the 613 extra laws, because of what Moses had done in the Ten Commandments, this was a, like a common question amongst Jewish people. In this day, this was the one they would. In fact, they had things called heavy and light laws. These are lights. These are laws that are light that you can break if you need to, but don't break these heavy ones. And so there's always this conversation of what's the one that's the one like we just we must stay away from it. This is the one that we have to make sure that we follow through. What's the ones that we can do away with because it's ridiculous. We can't live in light of all of these. We can't live underneath all of these. And so this was a common debate. This was a common debate amongst Jewish religious leaders against Sadducees, Pharisees. They would all debate this question. What is the greatest commandment? So them coming to Jesus with this, they're hoping that he's going to mess up. He's going to say something and then they can say, well, see, he doesn't believe in the Mosaic law or see, he doesn't understand our, our, the rabbinical laws. And he's, he's, he's going to undermine someone in here and it's going to, it's going to trip, trip him up or trap him. And so he, he answers them. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So Jesus answers it perfectly. He, he, he basically quotes the beginning of the Shema, which was a, 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 a prayer that every single Jewish person would do on a daily basis. That started out with hero Israel. Our Lord, our God is one. 
we will love our God. It goes into the love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so this was something that they had repeated verbatim. They knew this over and over and over again. This was something that they wrote on their doorposts. They, they wore these words and they, they carried them around. They knew this scripture. They knew that this was a great command. So he answers this and it's like, well done. He did a good job. I mean, like that's, that's it, all right? He answers him and, and it, this, is, this is enough to just say that he did it right. And so what is it, before we go on, what, what does it really mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind? And the Gospel of Mark and Luke adds strength. What, is it, what does it really mean for us to do that? The, 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 in this setting, heart is, is meant to mean more of a true heartedness, like an integrity or um, an uprightness. Um, normally, heart in the New Testament is the center of all who we are, but it uses heart and then soul. Soul is um, our whole life, giving every single aspect of our life. Mind is, is every single aspect of our thoughts. Strength is all that we have. Basically, Cliff Notes, guys, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love Him with absolutely every single resource you have, with your breath with your eyes, with your ears, with your, with your mouth, with every lung, with your heart, with your body, with every single aspect. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind is to mean that every single resource that is expendable, that is around you, that you are, is devoted to Him. It's not, it's not, it's not almost all of Him. It's not all of, it's like, well, I can love Him with most of this stuff, but I'm not going to love Him on Monday through Friday, or maybe just Friday night I'll ignore Him, or maybe I'll just ignore Him at work or ignore Him in this relationship. No, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to literally love Him with every single thing you have. You're holding nothing back. That's what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, how do we do that? How do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I'm glad you asked that. Um, 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God. So if you want to know how to love God, this is, this is how you do it. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That second part I always feel like was a Jedi mind trick. Like they're not burdensome. They seem really hard to me. But the point is to love God, we do the very thing that he's saying right here. Keep the two commandments that he just said. So we love God by loving God and we love others. So it seems really, really confusing until we go, okay, wait, he's commanding us to love him. Okay, so this is a command. He's saying you shall love. It's not you should, hey, if you want to. It's you shall. He commands us to love him. Why would God command us to love him? For two reasons, uh, lots of reasons, but two I can think of off the top of my head. First one is John 15, 10, 11 says, if you keep my commandments, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That word abide means to remain. So Jesus is laying this out, saying, hey, if you, if, you, if you do what I ask of you, if you keep what's called of you, you will remain in my love, just like I've done what the Father's asked of me and remain in his love. And then he goes on and says, I have spoken to you that my joy, I, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what he's saying here is, is that when we remain, when we, when, we, when we love God by keeping his commandments, by doing the things that he asks of us to do, living within the parameters he has set for us to do, he says your, 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 your joy is full. You are, your, your cup is overflowing with joy. So this begs the question of those of us that are struggling to find joy in life. Are we keeping the commandments that God has set before us? Are we living inside of the parameters he has set before us? With 
every aspect of our life, not just Sundays, not just with this one group of friends. Are we, are we loving him in our marriages? We're loving him with our friends. We're loving him in the community. This is, a, this is an all-encompassing thing. So what, what, he's, what he's saying is to, is to love him with every fiber of who we are. We got we to gotta live within the parameters he's set for us, guys. That means that we know his word and what his word tells of us. We believe it is not a mistake in this word. We don't justify our own arguments to get away from what the scripture is telling us to do. As hard as it may be, as difficult as it may be to believe, we, we surrender ourselves to this word. And we love him. And that's how you love God. Simple, right? Why do most of us feel like we're just failing at that? We just, we just, we struggle. Some of it, I think, is because we spend more time focusing on arguing with people than we do actually loving God. Sometimes because they feel like we want to be right instead of loving God. In a world that's messed up as it is right now, kind of half-hearted following God in this way isn't going to cut it. It doesn't work. He doesn't give us a, well, love me with most of your heart on this day, some of your mind on this day, and well, you know, if you get some strength here or there, go for it, buddy. Every single resource we have is his. I struggle to believe that. I believe that at times in my life. To really give him every resource. I'm not talking just dollars and resource, money, although that's probably one that we really, really struggle to give him. But do we really give him every decision? Do we give him our schooling, our education, our marriage, our relationships, our hopeful relationships, our children? Does, does he really have that? Does he have our hearts? My assumption is, is that most of us know that he actually doesn't have our entire heart. So we're going to do a little exercise here. On the way in, you were given a note card and a pen. So go ahead and pull that note card and pen out. If you don't have a note card or pen, the ushers will uh, come around and they can give you one of those. Just raise your hand. Um, we're going to do a little thing. <clears throat> so instead of uh, talking about loving God, we're going to actually do a little little exercise that hopefully will help us understand how to love God. But we're going to do it in the most uncomfortable way possible. You ready for this? This room is going to be silent. So you're going to have to like get your coughs out now, like clear your throat, because it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be so quiet that you're going to be like, I don't want to even do that. Okay? Thank you for all of you following the rules there. Look at you, such law-abiding citizens now. <clears throat> so here's what we're going to do. My bet and my assumption is that God is calling you to love him. In fact, biblically, he's, he's commanded you to love him, Right? But my bet is, is he is, through his spirit, he is, he is prompting you. He is, he is leading you to love him in some way or another in your life. And it may be simply of actually surrendering to one of his commandments that he's called of you. Maybe surrendering to him in a relationship physically or surrendering to him with alcohol. Maybe it's something as simple as, as just surrendering to his word as truth. Or maybe it's, maybe it's him calling to break down some pride or, or to deal with your, your bent, like your full-fledged anger inside of you that's just welling up bitterness. But he is, he is calling you. He is prompting you. He is leading you because he's a good God. He's a good father. And he knows that that stuff is not meant to be in you. And he is leading you. He's saying, love me this way. Love me with your money. 
Love me in your marriage. Love me with your education. Love me with your pride. Like, like, let these things go. Give them to me. And he's calling you to do that. But because we're so busy and we're so focused in on fear of this world and what may happen and all the arguments that we'd rather win on, online that we haven't created any space to actually hear him speak to us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us what's going to feel like 30 minutes of dead silence in a room full of people. And I'm going to let you guys listen to God speak to you. I'm going to have you write down the ways he's saying, love me this way. And I didn't, you don't have to put your name on this. Don't worry about that. Like, just write it down. Where is he saying, Bren, love me here. It's time for you to start loving me here. I, where, is he, where is he gripping those, like, it's like he's prying those fingers off of something on you. And my, my assumption is you know this. You're a follower of Jesus. He's already been breathing this into you. He's been speaking this into you. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, then God will speak to you. And so if you think it, bring it up. Put it in. And write those things down. And we're going to do it in silence because, well, my assumption is most of us don't create space to be still, to be silent and let God speak to us. In fact, there's so much noise that we rarely can hear him. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give us some time to write these things down, and then I'll close it in prayer, and we'll go from there, okay? God, thank you for this space. I know that you are alive. You are a good God. Your, your scripture is true, and your spirit is more active than ever. He is not uh, weak or afraid. You are still doing your work here in this dark, dark world, God, and you are doing your work in our hearts. At times, it may seem so dark, too. So God, I pray that your spirit, I pray that he would speak to every single one of your followers in this room. That it would be overwhelming how clear we hear where you are calling us, where you're drawing us to love you. Whether it's in resources or it's in money or in people or in time or relationships, whatever it is you're calling us to surrender, to lay down or, or to, to press into, to do more of, to bring love of you. God, I pray that you'd speak that boldly, clearly to us and we would confidently write those things down on this card pray for this silence, God, that the only thing we'd hear is you, and that you would, you would get rid of the worries, the concerns, or the thoughts of the, the football games that are today, or whatever may come with what holiday things, or finals that are coming up. God, I pray that you would just rid our minds of everything, so that all we can hear is your still, strong voice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Father, to, to love you. We have to follow in the ways you ask of us. May we take joy in living and loving you within the parameters that, you have, that your word is, tells us to. May we do this by the strength of your spirit inside of us so that we are not left in our own strength as that would be impossible. So Father, would you lead us into a more loving relationship with you, a love that is an action, not just in feeling, a love that is, is the will of all that we are, not just um, some love story, God, but the ultimate of love. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. The second reason why we can love him is because he displayed the most loving thing possible to us through Jesus Christ. He displayed, he displayed a love that makes no sense to any of us, a sacrifice of Jesus Christ in place of you and I. So we don't just love him because it brings joy to us, but we love him because he displayed love through Jesus Christ. Not out of some obligatory way, but because we are, we are dumbfounded by the fact that he loves us even though we don't deserve it. So we love him because he more than deserves it. He extended grace that we don't deserve, and so we can now live out of grace because he has given it to us. Jesus uh, pretends to not understand their question, which actually I believe he, he, he knows that in this debate, he's not going to get anywhere with them. Their hearts are made up. They've already made their decision, so he answers the first question for them. He says, what's the greatest commandment? He answers the first one. I think every single person, including that lawyer, is like, well, didn't stump him. He did a great job. Good job, Jesus. Moving on. <clears throat> but Jesus doesn't stop there. He just keeps going. He says, and a second is like it. And those five little words have plagued me. Because what he's saying is he isn't saying, and the second's, you know, almost as good as this first one. He's saying the second is like that. The second is like it. What you just heard to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second's like it. And he goes on and says, the second's like it. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he answers this question and goes into saying, look, if you want to truly understand what it means to love God, because these Pharisees, they were smart, smart, smart people. They knew so much about God. They understood the Old Testament. They knew all those things. And he says, but you've, you've missed it. You can't love God without loving your neighbors yourself. We get this in another, set of, in another, in another time that this is said, and someone, the guy asks, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes into the Good Samaritan story. He says, well, everyone's your neighbor, fool. Right? Like, he didn't say that. I added that. That's my version. <clears throat> he goes on and says, essentially what Jesus is saying is, is you're lying to yourself if you think you can love God and hate someone. You're lying to yourself. He's saying the second is like to love God. You can't separate them. We don't get to go, well, I'm going to love God all this much. We can't compartmentalize that. Well, you can't compartmentalize this. Well, what do we do with all these ugly, mean people in the world? Yeah, you're right. We're here for a purpose. We're here to be the light and the salt in this dark, dark world. Well, the only way we're going to do that is if we start rubbing shoulders and get our hands dirty. And let the Spirit lead us into areas that we aren't comfortable with Him leading us and start living out of that and being the salt and the light that He calls us to be. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, this whole loving your neighbor as yourself, just this is one of those Christianese statements that people think, well, you can't, 
you can't love anyone unless you love yourself, right? Like that's, I feel like there's like a little kitten on that. Like, you know, the poster, like love yourself or whatever. That's the poster. Now I want to be clear before I go leave you like that. Some of you, and I'm going to pick on the ladies in here. Some of you have an atrocious self-worth. I mean, it's, it's horrible what you believe about yourself. And I want every single one of you are made in the image of God. Those of you that have surrendered to Jesus, you are, you are his child. He, in fact, Jesus tells us that he knit you together in your mother's womb. So whatever thing you don't like about yourself, he, he put together in there. So some of you, yeah, your, your self-worth is way lower than it should be. Your identity needs to be rooted in Christ. In fact, as a surrendered child of God, this is the coolest part. Not only are you a child of God, but you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ in the kingdom. Amen? Right, so, so yeah, self-worth maybe needs to be different, but that's not what this text is talking about. This love the neighbor as yourself, love as yourself is, is our genuine desire to be fed, to be warm, to be healthy, to have people like us. Like that's just what you normally want out of life. We all want that. It's Jesus, this yourself is like God created it. He created every single thing that's, they're all good. We want food. We want shelter. We want warmth. We want those things. He created it in themselves. They're not evil. But when they become evil is when we idolize those things at the cost of others. They become evil when we say that I want to be warm, but no one else does. You know, when it got really, really cold, this is the question that God was asking me. When it got really cold, like, you know, it seems like it always gets cold on an oar and then warms up again, teasing us or something. It got really, really cold. I was really grateful for a coat and a furnace, but I didn't think once about any of my homeless brothers or sisters. Didn't think once. Didn't cross my mind. What would it be like sleeping in this? I wonder if they have enough coats. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like, is that you are plagued by those thoughts. You can't just sit in your own comfort. You seek it for others as well. You're not just content at having a warm meal. You're hoping someone else gets a warm meal too. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. It means that you seek it the same way. In fact, the question we should ask ourselves is, am I desiring and seeking the temporal and eternal good of my neighbor with the same zeal, ingenuity, and perseverance that I seek for myself? Are we? Do we actually plan out a Thanksgiving meal for someone that doesn't have one? Or do we just plan out one for us? Because it was nice and it was great. That's what I did. It, it means that we stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about others. To love our neighbor as ourself, to have the second like it, meaning to love the Lord your God with all your heart, they're tied together. I don't get to separate them as much as I want to. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, he just kind of waylays us with this one. This is Jesus speaking. He says, for I, we'll get there in another decade. Um, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and then prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer him saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So when we choose to not do it with someone, we choose to not do it to Jesus. Jesus kind of makes it inexplicable inescapable for us. <laughs> we can't escape out of this. I can't, I can't shift around it. 
So when that means... He says a second is like it. He's telling us that you can't love God without loving others. This is why we, we said it was so, oh man, we're so creative, right? Our church is going to be about loving God and loving others because I don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't do that. I really, I really don't. I don't want to be, I don't want to claim to follow Jesus if I'm not doing that. Like we should be desiring to see this happen in everyone around us. In fact, we're going to do a little practice here. Okay, we're going to move on here. You're going to take that little note card out. Pull it out. Don't worry. It's not going to be awkward silence. You're like, oh, I don't know if I could have stayed awake through the second one, right? That's what you're thinking. We're going to pull out this note card. My assumption is this. My bet is this. I'm going I'm to, if you had a mirror and you could just look yourself in the eyes. I mean, you know, like if you ever tried to do that, it's kind of awkward. You look yourself in the eyes and talk to yourself. See how long you can do it. That's a fun practice for you later. That was free. But um, if you had a mirror in front of you right now, if you had a mirror in front of you and you looked yourself in the eyes and you asked yourself this question, my bet is you already have the answer to this question. Okay? Who am I not loving? Who? Who am I not worried about their well-being as much as I am mine? And some of you can go right to a name. Some of you have been profoundly hurt disgustingly destroyed by someone. And it's like, I don't love that person. In fact, I hate that person. Some of you, it's, 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 it's a people group. And you have no problem debating that people group all day long. But my bet is, is that you know who it is. Now, if you look at your little list that you wrote down on the top of how God was calling you, I'm pretty sure, this isn't a bait and switch, by the way, I'm pretty sure that the way that he's calling, you, he's calling you to love him more is going to act out through that person that you hate or that you don't want to love right now. I'm pretty sure they're probably a lot closer than we want them to be. My bet is he's saying, yeah, here's this people group. Here's this. So what I want you guys to do right now while I'm talking, pull that card out and write that name down. Write that name down to that person that you don't want to love, that you're struggling to love, that you just don't love, that you hate, however you want to say it. If you want to make it seem nice, you're like, I'm just really struggling and praying about loving them, then put that down. That's fine. But either way, write that name down. And maybe it's not a name. Maybe, it's a, it's, it, maybe it is a person. Maybe as parents, it's your children. You've been so unloving to your children because you're exhausted, you're tired of the chaos of the season. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's an ex Maybe it's someone that hurt you atrociously in the past. My bet is, is that you're justifying their actions to assume that you're okay to not love. And that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. The, uh, the, the polar opposite. Now, I, I want to be clear. Some of you, th- this person really, really did hurt you. And it's a very, very dark and, and hard and, and situation. Loving them does not mean like, I'm just going to go back in this situation and be like, okay, hurt me again. This is fun. No, loving them would be willing to pray for them, willing to uproot. In fact, the Hebrews tells us that a root of bitterness will set in us if, if we don't forgive. And you know what? All evil springs out of that. So there's a good enough and compelling enough reason to get rid of the bitterness in our hearts. Because I don't want all the evil to start flying out of me because of that. Write that person down. And for some of you, maybe it's, it's just time to forgive them. Re- release the power of that and start working through that process. Some of you, it's, it's simpler. It's just stay off Facebook and stop saying things. Some of you, it's, it's, it should radically transform your prayer life. 
it's going to change your week-to-week schedule because you're going to have to put in more time to love this individual or this family or this people group because God has called you to love them. And he's calling you to love him more in this area. And so my bet is if you wrote, I need to love him more in finances, there's a person that's, that's struggling. He's saying, that's where. He's giving you, he's leading you. Now listen to him and act on it. None of us are free from this. In fact, James 4, 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Man, I wish that verse wasn't in the Bible, right? Because you guys just all wrote down ways in which God is calling you to, lead, to love him more and then wrote down people you don't love and now you know you're supposed to love him. And he says, if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, it's sin. I really didn't try and bait switch you on that one, I promise. I just worked out that way. But here's, here's how this plays out. Some of you right now are still justifying not loving that person or that people group or that individual. And you're making light of this, of this verse when the very reason that I am compelled to love God is because of what Jesus did for me in place of my sin. So why would I make light of us sin when he had to drink every single last drop of judgment I deserved in my place for the sins that I do? What Jesus says here about loving God and loving one another only makes sense when we set it within Matthew's larger gospel picture of Jesus dying for our sins of the world and rising again with the message of new life. That's when these commandments begin to come into their own, when we, they are not seen, they see not as orders to be obeyed in our own strength, but as invitations and promises to a new way of life in which bit by bit, hatred and pride and fear can be left behind and love can become a reality. See, we're, we're called to love God and to love others. And some of you aren't doing that. Now Jesus moves on with this question. He wins the debate, by the way. He totally wins the debate. But he, he lost their hearts. Which is, which is why I say d- debates are where hearts are won, so maybe we should just stop. Like I said, you can, you can disagree in a healthy way and you can sit across the table and have a great conversation about disagreements. But none of these Pharisees' hearts were changed in this debate. In fact, every question they asked him, he had an answer for that they couldn't question. And now Jesus is going to ask them a question that they don't have an answer for. He went, I mean, he slays them in the debate world, right? None of you are Jesus, just in case you're wondering, okay? And so my bet is that you're probably going to mess up on your debates every now and then. And realistically, hearts aren't usually won by debates. They aren't won there. Hearts are, hearts are won by, by the, the, the love and the hope and the action of Jesus Christ. Yes, that means you will have to disagree with people at times. Yes, that means that truth will cut into circumstances. But it's done around loving God and loving others. Jesus goes on in, in 41, he says, verse 41, he says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. They answered, right. Everyone knew that the Messiah was going to be of the lineage of the son of David. That was all common sense. They said to him, son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit, so David, David speaking by the spirit of God, writes these words, the inherent, the, the infallible word of God is, is, is complete. It is good. We have 
proof right here in the text that, that the Spirit of God helped David pen these words of the Psalm 110 he's about to quote. How is it then that he calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord. That translates the Yahweh, God. God said to my Messiah, my, my Lord, sit at my right hand. The, most place, the place of most prominence, the most, this person that sat at the right hand had the equal authority as the person in the throne. Jesus, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under her feet. If then David calls him Messiah, how is he his son? The Pharisee's like, whoa, mind blown. Wait a second, how did that work out? How, how is that possible? If he calls him, if he calls him, if, he, if David, he's a son of David, how is he Messiah? And this is the problem. The Pharisees of this day did not believe that the Messiah was God. They believed the Messiah was just going to be a son of David, which is true, and he'd come in like a military God, like authority like David and take over Rome. But no, that's true, but there's so much more. And this is where it changes for you and I. Let me, let me, let me land this here. When we have a full understanding of who Jesus is, I mean, a full understanding of who Jesus is, not some good dude, not some prophet that did some neat things, a full understanding of who Jesus is and surrender ourselves to him completely, we then not only have the ability to love God and love others, but we are more than compelled to do so. You see, this, this is the problem. The Pharisees understood and knew about God, but they didn't surrender to Christ. So when you and I are struggling to love him or to love others, it's because we have a smaller view of what Jesus is capable. We still have his power. This is the same power that raised him from the dead lives in me and in you if you surrender to Jesus Christ. That's lots of power to actually love God and to love others. We limit it because we, 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 we minimize what Jesus has done and who he is. It's the same issue the Pharisees had. He was smaller than that to them. And they left. No hearts changed. God has never been after empty words or, or empty rituals. He's not interested in that. He's after your heart and your heart in the way that he wants you to love him with all of it. And he wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not enough to know about God. It's not even enough to debate what's right. God's kingdom is and always has been about the heart and the action of love, to love God and to love others. That's what his kingdom's purpose is. So we're going to do one more thing and we're going to come, the band's going to come and we're going to worship. We're going to take those cards out. Okay. And what we're going to do is we've set up communion in the back over here. And there's two buckets. There's two little tins back there. And I'm going to encourage you guys to exchange your card for communion. You can take communion without exchanging your card. That's fine. But I think there's something really beautiful about laying that down again in remembrance of what he's done for us. See, communion is, is essentially, it's essentially Jesus. It's us taking and drinking the juice of the, the, to represent the spilled blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's taking of the bread to represent the body that's broken for us. And we do this in remembrance of him and what he has done for us. In fact, Jesus says that, that, those words exactly. Do this. Do this. Just like he says the same thing. Love God. Do that. Love me. Do that. And so I'm going to encourage you guys to exchange. He has not only shown us how to love God and to love others, but he's, 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 he's given us a way through his broken body. And so when we take communion, we can, we can lay that card down knowing that God has given us already the strength to do the very thing he's calling us to do. 
We can lay that card down knowing that the very person that he's calling us to love, he has, he has put that on our heart and given us not only the way, the ability, the strength, the power, and the desire to do so, and we can actually act in that. So at any moment, you can go back and you can take communion, and you can remember not only what God has done for you, but it's a, it's a, it's a foreshadow of looking to what he's doing in and through you for his kingdom's purposes. So it's, it's a remembering, it's an exchange then we're going to sing a song that's called I Will Follow You. And I, I challenge you guys. I, I do. I challenge you guys. Don't just lip sing it. Don't just lip service it. If you're going to follow him, follow him. That means very well when you lay this card down, you know that you're laying this down saying, God, you are giving me the strength to this week and next week and the rest of my life walk in the ways that you have called me to walk in life, in freedom by your spirit leading me every single step of the way. And then I challenge you, scream it, belt it. I will follow you, God, wherever you're taking me. I will follow you to that person that I don't love right now. I will follow you to that people group. Some of you, what practically needs to happen, you just need to get off Facebook for a while, okay? Just stay away from it. It's not, you're using that as an excuse to, love, to not love God. You just need to stay away from it. You don't need to post up like, hey guys, taking a time off. Like just, just disappear, It'll be, it'll be liberating, I promise. Because it's instilling too much fear and too much debate and you're spending more time there than you are in God's word. Reading what other people say about God's word does not take place of you actually reading God's word. Maybe some of us, we just need to stop and spend more time. Let me pray, God, as we get ready to take of your communion, may we be reminded of the goodness you've shown us through Jesus Christ. Uh, may we be reminded of um, what he endured for us in place of, of us. We didn't deserve that, God, but you graciously gave it to us. And so, God, I pray that we would willingly and, and more than be, be more than compelled to love you with everything, with every resource we have, with every breath, with every thought, with every, every aspect of our life. God, may we love you in that way. May we be a people that aren't just talking about it, aren't just talking about knowing you, but a people that actually act on that love. And a spirit leading us to that. God, for the individuals and the broken relationships and the people that maybe you're struggling to love, God, I pray that you would uh, wreak havoc on our hearts. That if it's a single person or a, or a people group that we are struggling to love, whether it's due to what we believe is right or wrong, whether it's what we believe the Bible says is right or wrong, God, would you, would you wreak havoc on our hearts to love? Um, would you help us to stay true to your word, God, but just... Just destroy us. I mean, obliterate our hearts in a way that we can't get that person or that people group out of our minds and we are compelled to pray more and more for them or that, and we'd be compelled to more ways of love of them. Father, may we be a people that truly love you and love others and not just talk about it. Proud this in Jesus' name, amen.